Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. Listening, the neglected key to marital communication. This is my unofficial statistic. I would say 80% of communication struggles are not, are not struggles of expression. They are struggles of listening. And so I would say if you could take one chapter of this entire presentation in order to most enhance your ability to communicate it would be this chapter right here. Because oftentimes, I will have couples come to me and they're kind of in that really mad, nasty sniper phase with one another and they say, we, we just can't communicate. And, and after about three minutes with them, I realize they communicate beautifully. They get their point across with great clarity and passion. They can illustrate it. They can give you as many examples as they need. If it was sheerly the spiritual gift of communication, they should be preaching and teaching because they are powerful communicators. What they stink at is listening. They don't fairly represent what the other person says. I wonder if they're in the same room with each other. Because whatever valid points are there that the other person is making just totally get lost. And that's why I would say, because most of us can hear ourselves in that, is that 80% of our communication struggles would be resolved if we became really good listeners. Now, how many of you have seen uh, the mint chocolate chip Klondike commercial? Uh, the one where, what would you do for a Klondike bar, and you've got that despicable representation of a typical husband uh, who feels like he needs an ice cream treat to listen to his wife for like five seconds? Uh, those things annoy me enough that if it weren't for, like, the dark chocolate vanilla-covered variety, I would almost be willing to call for a boycott. Uh, but then I feel like in order to be consistent, I'd have to, like, not go for my favorite there. But, but that idea of a typical man who is disinterested in non-listening, I think is every bit as destructive to our culture as that portrayal of a typical woman who is an early 20 bikini-clad sex object who every woman looks at and just thinks, I can never measure up to that and feels insecure, that somehow this idea of a man who just doesn't listen, who is disinterested, um, it, I think if we're going to engage in the subject of listening, we have to just get rid of that and say that is so far from what Scripture would call for a husband and wife to be to one another. Now, uh, Dennis Rainey uh, gets us off on a very strong point here. He says, if you want to develop an intimate marriage relationship, you would be wise to speak less and listen more. The 
the person who speaks less is more willing to set his own self-centeredness aside and build oneness in marriage. He is better able to understand um, another viewpoint, and he is willing to seek the best for his mate. Uh, Wayne Max says something similar. Of all the principles involved in effective communication, none is more important than good listening. I think we miss the power of common things. I mean, how many of us have heard a friend, maybe this is our own experience, that what hurts them most about their upbringing is just the fact that they had a dad who was never at their ball game, who was never at their recital, who was never at their performance. They didn't need a dad who had some kind of profound wisdom and deep insight into every event that was going on. Just the value of being there and showing interest had significant impact, very little complexity. And if we ask the question, why is it that we tend to downplay the value of something like listening? I think part of it just comes developmentally. When we were kids, all we got to do was listen. Or at least that's what it felt like to us. And the big people who knew stuff, who were really important, who were powerful, they got to talk. And the little people who didn't know anything, who were insignificant, all they got to do was listen. And so we begin to think the really powerful and important part of communication is talking, and the really wimpy, sleazy part of communication is listening. And so when we get to be important, we're not going to do any of that listening garbage anymore. And if we apply that same train of thought, to nutrition, none of us would be eating our fruits and vegetables today. Um, But we begin to view listening as if it were the weaker part of communication. And I think it can have another implication. Consider how it impacts our prayer life. If listening is of little value, then chances are we don't marvel at the fact that the God of the universe is omni-available. That he says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. And we tend to grade our prayer life based upon how God performs in response to whatever we ask. And we miss the fact that our Creator, the one who is holding the universe in order, is interested in every facet and detail of our life, no matter how insignificant it may seem. In the level of care, the sense of God's love, His presence, that would be so sustaining to the parts of our life gets neglected because we don't think of listening as being all that significant of a task. But when we elevate listening to the value that it truly holds, then the fact that God is there for us takes on a much greater significance. Now, um, Winston Smith, he says, There is no point moving on to the next idea or responding to what you heard if your spouse doesn't believe you understand what's been said. How does your spouse typically feel misunderstood by you? If you don't know, then ask. I think that's a great question. I think it is worth asking. When do you typically feel most misunderstood by me? I want to understand what's going on. And chances are, when you ask that question, 
you're going to find that those are times when you give some of what we've detailed out in your notebook here as ways not to listen. And so before I teach you how to listen, I want to teach you how not to listen. Not to make you a more effective non-listener, but to teach you what to pay attention to as those signs to catch yourself when we're not doing it well. And the first of those uh, is interrupting. When we interrupt someone, it communicates something like this. My thoughts are more important than your thoughts. Or, I am more willing to risk you forgetting what you have to say than I am willing to risk me forgetting what I want to say. Or it says, I know what you're about to say and it needs to be fixed and let's just rush past you saying it and get to my fixing it. Uh, That is what interrupting communicates. And so if we're someone who struggles with interrupting, the first thing I would advise you to do is take a passage like Philippians 2, 1 through 5, and just memorize it. And let it be something that you meditate in those moments when you need to display the honor of listening well. Where Paul said, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort in love, and isn't that what we want to give when we listen? We want to give the comfort of love. Well, how do we do that? In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's really what listening is about. Now, a second way not to listen well uh, is to give premature advice. When we give premature advice, what we're communicating is this, that you are a problem to be solved more than you are a person to be heard. When I just, okay, I know what needs to be done, here it is, let's take care of that, great. In that moment, what I am communicating is that you're a problem to be solved more than a person to be heard. And in the context of a marriage, that can be really damaging and offensive. A third way uh, not to listen well is to minimize. And oftentimes, I think we, we minimize somewhat innocently. We're trying to offer comfort, uh, but it becomes a form of faux comfort. Um, and so let's just think about this from a couple of different angles. First, usually when we're tempted to minimize, it's because we think our spouse is overreacting. So just think it through with me. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to assume for the moment that your spouse is overreacting, but just think this through with me. If you try to minimize and change things quickly when your spouse is overreacting, does changing things quickly when your spouse is overreacting, is that something that seems like it would have a good effect? I mean, does it seem like a good idea? You're already kind of panicked and overreacting. Let's just change things really fast for you. No. It's just a bad strategy. And so even if we're right, we're wrong. Now, if on the other hand, I am fast-forwarding the listening process, it may very well be that you're not overreacting. I just don't understand enough to get why this is as important to you as it is. 
And so just to clarify for a moment and say, hey, I was tracking with you to this point and then it seemed like it began to upset you this much and I just couldn't quite go there with you. Can you help me see how you got from here to here? Because again, you lived this, I didn't, I'm just hearing about it. I, I'm, I just want you to know where I got lost. Can you help me catch up? And at that point, Okay, I don't have to understand everything. I'm listening. I'm just getting this information. But instead of immediately minimizing to assume that what I've heard is right or that you're overreacting, let me clarify. And I think that's part of what 1 Corinthians 13, 7 implies when it says, love believes all things. It gives the benefit of the doubt. It assumes that there is an explanation, even if I don't know it yet, and it means that I ask humbly for you to, to help fill in the dots for me so I can get where you're going with this. Um, now, another way uh, not to listen well is what I call fear filtering. Uh, and by that, uh, I might state it this way. We tend to see first what we fear most. Uh, now, my background uh, is that of a country boy. I grew up 30 minutes from the nearest McDonald's. Uh, they did not pave the road in front of my house until I was in middle school. Uh, and so most of my illustrations from being a boy are kind of country-esque. And I can remember going into the woods with a fear of snakes. And when you walk through the woods with a fear of snakes, then every crooked stick is a snake until it proves otherwise. Because what you fear most, you tend to see first. And so if what I fear most is rejection, then what I am hearing in the midst of what anybody says to me is what may be a slight, what may be an insult, what might be a put down. Because I am listening through that filter of fear. And if what I fear most is rejection, then I need to recognize that becomes what taints what I hear. If what I fear most is failure, then what I am listening for is whatever it is that you may be asking or insinuating that I can't do particularly well. And that's what I get really sensitive to and begin to respond in this pushback fashion. And so let me offer you a passage of Scripture that is very familiar but I think may take on an additional significance in light of what we're talking about. Proverbs 1.7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When what I fear most, when what I value most, is what God is thinking and doing in the midst of this circumstance, then as I listen to you, what I am filtering for is what is God doing in your life and in my life through what's going on in your life and how can we see this moment to grow us into the people and couple that God wants us to be. And there's this sense that when our hearts are set right and what we fear and value most is what God is doing in, through, and around us, then it changes the filter by which we hear one another and everybody else. Now, uh, in order to help us go into how to listen well, uh, we'll use a quote here from John Henderson. He says, Rarely uh, will we agree on all the topics of marriage, 
Rarely will we agree on the exact proper use of money or the exact proper amount of sexual intimacy or the exact proper way to handle the children. God did not design everyone to agree exactly on all these matters. Rather, God redeems and enables husbands and wives to reflect Christ and the church amidst their disagreements and to grow in love for one another under every circumstance. This love tends to be expressed through gracious speech, humble listening, eagerness to serve, and a longing for Christ to be magnified in our marriages. Now, if we're going to do that, I think it's important for us to begin to recognize there are different types of listening. Uh, we don't, not all listening is the same. Again, listening is kind of like the word dog. Uh, dogs come in all different shapes and sizes. Uh, and so we want to know what, what are the different types of listening that we can engage in. The first kind of most foundational type of listening is just comprehending. Do I know what it is that you're saying? Uh, this is where uh, the kind of reflective listening techniques that often um, sometimes get made fun of anyway, where uh, a couple can become a bit mechanical and go, what I hear you saying is, and they just kind of echo back in this robotic form as if I can't get in any trouble if I just say what you said back to me and I'm scoring some like husband points here if I do this. Um, but there's some value to that. If I, if I don't really understand where you're coming from, let me just make sure that I get that. Now, if I'm going to comprehend, uh, it means I have to value understanding more than speaking. And that value is going to be expressed in a sacrifice. It means I'm going to have to sacrifice some of my airtime, some of my time when I could be communicating to clarify and make sure that I understand. And that's important. Now, a second type of listening is listening to appreciate um, what is good in what the other person is saying. And it's this kind of appreciative listening uh, that gives patience uh, to our listening. I think this is something we've all experienced. If you have listened to two news programs, one that shared whatever political leanings that you may have, and another that comes from a different set of political values than what you hold. Chances are you experienced the presence and absence of appreciative listening. I'm kind of a nerd. I like to read books. I experience this when I read a book from somebody I trust and then somebody I don't know or somebody that I don't trust. If I'm reading from an author that I trust, and he says something that doesn't make sense to me or I don't quite jive with, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt while I wait to figure out where he's going with that. If it's somebody that I don't trust as much, I don't do that. And the same thing happens when I watch the news. It, and so again, I want to come to a passage here and use it in light of this in a way that we might not typically use it, but I think is very faithful to the text. When we hear Romans I'm sorry, not Romans, um, but Philippians 4, 8. We often think of struggles like anxiety uh, or anger. 
uh, and you know we're upset. We're either stressed out or uh, wanting to, to change something, and we begin to realize we need to think on those things that are right, true, just, pure, lovely. Um, those kinds of things, focus on them. What I found is that was a great way to discipline my mind in listening to my wife. I just want, in the things that she says, I want to listen for those things that are good, right, true, pure, gracious, lovely. I, I want to listen to appreciate, to draw those things out. And it changed, not just the way that I listen to my wife, but other people. Uh, so that when, uh, when I'm having a bad day and I'm in a bad mood, I need to go into Philippians 4.8 listening mode and let that be the filter for a lot of what I'm hearing. Another way that we listen uh, is to empathize. Um, this is where we connect with the emotions of what the other person is saying. And this may be the most bonding form of listening. Uh, it's when we enter our spouse's world. Um, and so when I listen, and I am willing to let what moves you move me, there is a unique kind of listening that goes on there. Uh, this metaphor may or may not be useful for you, but sometimes for me, I compare it to surfing. Uh, not that I've ever really been like a surfing dude or anything like that. I don't have the hair for it. But, um, but when you're surfing, you just get on the wave and you ride it. There are times when if I am listening to my spouse, I don't need to try to steer the wave anywhere. I just need to ride the wave and get a sense of what is going on, what is, where this is moving her. And once I've ridden that with her for a little bit, I'm in a much better position to comment. Now, there are, there are times when we might say, ah, this just feels a little feminine. And um, to that, I would just uphold the example of Paul. In many ways, I think Paul is a man's man of the New Testament. He was an entrepreneur par excellence. Wherever there was not a church, it was his intention to plant a church to the ends of the earth. If he needed to make tents to pull that off, to make it happen, if he needed to be beaten, if he needed uh, to run for his life, if shipwreck, any of that, he was going to face it to accomplish what needed to be accomplished. But when it comes to how he listens, I would invite you to hear what he says. 1 Thessalonians 2, 8. He speaks to the church at Thessalonica. He says, Being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, not only information, not only content, not only advice or instruction, but also our own selves, because you had become so dear to us. Or Romans 12, 15 where he said, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, ride the wave of what's going on with those who are around you because it honors them and lets you minister to them more effectively. If we're to do that with one another, how much more should we do that with our spouse? Then there's a form of listening that's discernment. Uh, that's when I kind of step back a little bit from what was said and I try to pick out what is most important, what's going on, uh, and it, it's where I try to get the bigger picture. And sometimes this discerning listening can feel a little bit detached. Uh, and that's why I think the comprehending and the appreciating and the empathizing are important for this kind of discerning listening. 
not to come across as cold or indifferent within the context uh, of a marriage. And then there's also evaluative listening. That kind of listening that is moving towards a decision. I am pulling out information. There is a decision that we are coming to. And I am pulling that out to figure out where we need to go. And sometimes evaluative listening gets a bad rap in marriage events. Because we kind of got the Mr. Fix-It prototypical husband who uses this not to do the other kinds well. But there's a place for evaluative listening. When decisions need to be made. Uh, then we need to pick out that most relevant information. We need to be able to set it aside and go, what does this tell us about where we go with the most important decision? And so for those last two, uh, we're not going to deal with them as much from this point forward. Uh, That's what we'll deal with in the decision-making seminar. Uh, But I want to say that those are relevant and important aspects of listening. Now, um, Winston Smith He says that idols that you worship erect a filter that screen out information uh, that doesn't match up with expectations. Again, that should sound familiar. Um, Idols also amplify other messages uh, that you're sensitive to. Approach every topic with humility. Uh, That is a willingness to learn something new and correct faulty understanding. Communicate a humility that allows room for more information or a different perspective. And so again, what he's saying is there's this kind of filter uh, that those things that are most important to us tend to make certain things that our spouse says not really seem that important, and then other things seem really important, and we have to be on guard for that. So let me try to, to maybe be as practical as I can here in drawing out some skills of listening. Uh, in your larger notebook, uh, I give you 12 Uh, We're just going to hit on five or six of them here. Uh, The first is, honor your spouse through your body language. Any study on communication will tell you uh, that the majority of what we communicate comes across non-verbally. And it's our body language that, that tells our spouse whether we are interested, whether we are engaged, whether or not we value what they're saying. So are we making eye contact? Do we have a pleasant facial expression or do we already have a sense on our face that we don't agree with what's being said? Are we nodding ahead to give this nodding our head to give a sense that we're following along with what's going on? Are we leaning forward to say that I'm with you, I'm for you? Uh, are we facing the speaker? Uh, are our shoulders relaxed? Are our arms folded giving a sense of disapproval? Uh, Have we removed distractions, meaning we're not looking at our phone or getting stuff out of the cabinet? Here's why that's important. If If we don't communicate interest in what our spouse is saying, this is what we're doing. We're telling our spouse they have to increase the emotional intensity to get our attention. And what that does is elevate the baseline of intensity in our communication. When I don't give you my attention, you have to compete for my attention. And that makes the sense of intensity just higher to begin with. And so if this is a difficult communication subject, and I am not giving you my attention, I am raising the floor from the beginning. Now, 
The second part of listening is to glean the purpose before the content. I want to know why you're talking before I know what you're saying. Now that doesn't mean to look at your spouse and go, why are you talking again? That's different. Uh, But let me offer you an illustration from our marriage. Uh, When we were uh, in grad school and seminary, uh, we would frequently take a date that was just walking around a neighborhood with different nice houses because really the only thing we could afford to do on a date was go for a walk. Um, and so as we would walk, um, we, my wife would be talking. And she would be talking about all the different things that she liked about these houses. And, and I thought the purpose of her communication was to give a request and expectation. And so as I was listening, I was doing math. And I was, again, the the, the numbers were rolling. And and I began to think, she knows I'm going to be a pastor, right? Uh, I mean, there's just no way that we can afford this. And and in my mind, she began to become this really kind of selfish and unreasonable person. And she couldn't figure out why I was getting quieter and more distant as we walked. That wasn't her purpose in communicating. She wasn't making a request. She was just sharing dreams and bonding, which meant it was important for her, for me to know what kind of things that she liked, uh, so that if any of those things were possible, uh, that I had an idea of what that was. And me not knowing why she was talking greatly inhibited my ability to hear what she was saying. And once I understood why she was talking, I became a much better listener in those areas. Another aspect of skill, clarify confusing points. Again, it can be as simple as, you know how your puppy, when you talk to it and you think it really understands and it kind of tilts its head? Just that kind of nonverbal, this is, I don't understand. You can begin to communicate, I'm not quite following, can you step back on that? Uh, Because what we have to realize is that points of confusion are critical junctures in communication where grace tends to leave the conversation. And that makes moments of confusion either really good or really bad. Because when we get confused, that is the time when we are tempted to let grace evaporate. And so I need to ask a question that assumes there is a good explanation for what I don't understand. Can you slow down and go back to this point? Because I wasn't quite following how you got from here to there. Uh, you know, and just asking in a way that says, I really think it's there, I just missed it. As opposed to, how in the world did you get that from that? One says, I think you're there, I wasn't following. The other says, you're crazy. Again, those moments are, of confusion are the moments when grace tends to leave a conversation. Uh, another skill summarize. Again, it's back to that idea of reflective listening. What I hear you saying is blank. Um, it, and think of it this way. In those moments in communication, when the roles change from speaking to listening, those are the moments when there's either going to be a net gain or a net loss in the level of trust in this interaction. I mean, if we ask, when is trust gained or lost? It's usually in those moments of role change. 
And so when, when I've been speaking, if I get the sense that my wife really did understand what I was saying, my level of trust and comfort in that exchange goes up. If I think she doesn't, my level of trust goes down. And so taking the time, even 30 seconds, just to make sure that you get that I understood what you were saying will save three hours worth of argument. And that's a really good time investment. Um, it, um, you know, maybe from skill to mindset. Uh, listen like you're taking a prayer request. I was once counseling a husband who I think really wanted to listen, but really it just wasn't his aptitude. He wasn't very good at listening. I mean, you could just tell it, it didn't stick well. Um, and this was a piece that, that seemed to register for him. I said, I just want you to listen to your wife like you're taking a prayer request. I said, imagine you're on the pastoral team, you're down front after service, people are coming forward, you've got three to five minutes max that somebody is going to share a burden with you and you're going to pray for them about that. How do you know if you've done that well? Well, you want to listen well enough that you can take whatever it is that is a burden for them and share it to God in such a way that they would say, yes, that is what I would say to God if I thought He was really listening and cared and wanted to do something in my life. That is all that's involved in, in that exchange. Do you feel like you can do that? Can you listen to your wife in such a way that you could take whatever she is saying to you and pray that back to God and she would say, yes, you represented me well before God. That's what I want. Well, is that all she wants? Yes. Um, you know, it, it was kind of like, yeah, I can do that. One final piece here in terms of skill. Uh, and in all honesty, this is the best piece of counseling advice I ever got in all my years of grad school. If you don't know what to say, ask more questions. There's a lot of freedom in that. If I'm not quite sure, don't feel the pressure just to come up with an answer because you quit talking and I was supposed to talk and the next thing was going to be a solution. If I don't know what to say, ask more questions. Uh, there's a lot of honor and relief that comes in that. Now, if you were to ask me, Brad, what do we take uh, from this chapter on listening? Um, here's what I think we would take. Listening is one of those things that goes in the basket of things that aren't complicated but are hard. I mean, as we think about it, most everything that I've said was probably not earth-shattering. I don't think anybody here went, hmm, I'm not supposed to interrupt her. That's deep. Uh, I mean, we just, there was nothing here that was earth-shattering. And on the one hand, that's encouraging. Because if you'll let me say it that w this way, what it means is the most relationally inept of us can honor each other well by listening. Because it's not an advanced skill. Now the discouraging part of it is, is it's one of those areas where we recognize again our own selfishness and self-centeredness is what prevents us from being the spouse uh, that I think we want to be or we wouldn't be here. And so what we come to realize again, which is what we probably should realize with each of these sections uh, if they're presented well, 
is that we are in a perpetual need of God's grace to be the spouse that we want to be. If I'm going to be the person who can enter my spouse's world by listening well, I need God to take my thoughts off of me and to put my thoughts on loving Him by caring for the person that He has given me to care for more than anybody else and remind me that that is my first responsibility and to fuel that desire that can forego what I want most to bless the person that I love and begin to realize that when I am willing to lose my life for His sake in the gospel, what I get is actually much better than what it is that I thought I wanted to begin with.